Just a reminder, everyone, the topics covered in this podcast are general in nature. They haven't taken into account your personal circumstances, and it's important to seek personal financial advice if you want to address any of the subject matter. Welcome to The Money Man. I'm Steve May. I'm here with Luke. How are you going, Luke? Good, Steve. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. Um, how's your last two weeks been? Yeah, really good. Yeah. Um, back on deck. So, back obviously, on. young Isaac is in our family now, yes. um, our baby. So, that's... Um, well, lots of good experiences there. How, how old is Isaac now? He is four weeks old. He'll be four. five weeks tomorrow. Wow. No, five weeks on Saturday. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Exciting, so, lots of new experiences. And, it is. Uh, and, uh, yeah, lifestyle changes, I guess. Yep, yeah. and, I th- you know, it's it, yeah, it's very very exciting, but in the same token, it's been good to be back on deck as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, get back in, into a bit of your normal work routine as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Very good. Okay, uh, apart from what's been happening with you over the last two weeks, which mm-hmm. has been more exciting than anything else, um, <laughs> Thanks, what, mate. what's been happening in the markets? Um, you know, there's there's a few different markets. I mean, obviously, today we're going to uh, cover the property and the shares and, you know, see what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, had a quick look at the share markets over the last fortnight. Um, US and Australians appears fairly flat. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually pull off the percentage numbers. Yeah, um, I think the Aussies, uh, ASX is down about a percent uh, okay. the last yep. couple of weeks. Yep. Um, but, you know, who, who knows what will happen today? Whereas yeah. we always say it doesn't matter what happens over the last couple of weeks. Well, but it's just interesting to see. We, and, and, we could record and it could be back up a percent, yeah, you know, and then it. it's flat for the fortnight or yeah. thereabouts. So, you know. Yeah. We, the, the US um, has been up generally about 2%. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. All right. Um so that's you know, sort of your major market, but then you know your tech stocks and um, what's that exchange called? The Nasdaq. Nasdaq, yeah. yeah. Nasdaq's actually been very choppy and down. Um, yeah. Uh, I was going to bring it up later, actually, but I'll bring it up now. Um, okay. The thing about Elon Musk and oh. uh, he's you know he announced he's buying far Bit- Bitcoin. Bitcoin and mm. uh, Bitcoin shares, and um, he came out and announced that he'd done that, and then he later came out and announced that. Um, he didn't know that it was uh, actually that good a good an investment. Or something. What, what did he say? Oh. Yeah, something like that. But and anyway, he lost fifteen point two eight billion dollars on yeah. Tuesday in, uh, in 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 regard to his Bitcoin and Tesla holdings. And and uh, I also heard in there. So so he's a so as you know, Elon Musk is associated with Tesla and SpaceX and the mm. like. So so he owns. Um, a portion of te- Tesla, so yeah, Tesla yeah. twenty he owns twenty one percent, and he's the CEO. And so yeah. Tesla is a, a publicly listed stock. So mm. if you and I are investors, we can go and actually buy stocks in Tesla. So he owns twenty one percent of it. But I think, and I, I will need to be fact checked on this. But I think what occurred um, and the sequence of you know what occurred with the Bitcoin uh, purchase and him touting it uh, was him actually saying, hey. Uh, people are going to be able to transact and purchase Teslas with Bitcoins if they want to. Um, Not sure for what reason he Mm. suggested that, but Mm. then he's gone and said he's going into the market into Bitcoin as well. Yeah, but then he made an announcement after that. He tweeted something to say that something along the lines... He's a tweeter as well, isn't he? Something along the lines of Bitcoin may not have been such a good investment, and then it it tanked. (laughs) I don't even understand. So so basically, you know, he lost $15.2 billion on paper. That's just through the the adjustment in the stock values. But, you know... They could go. They could be back up again today, and uh, and whatever. But you know, I just thought that was interesting that um, you know that um, he's taken a position in 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 this Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, you know, that sort of thing is very volatile. And for for a guy of his net worth, um, you know, he can lose fifteen billion he, in a day. He can make those bets, and don't forget, I think over the last couple of years, Tesla's gone from about forty dollars a stock to mm. seven hundred yeah, yeah. fifty fifty dollars yeah. a stock. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's just interesting. It just brings into into light the um, the volatility involved in 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 the share market, and especially in uh, these sorts of um, well, they're not speculative stocks, but they're um, they're definitely um, not your normal mm. um, company, are they? No, they're not. Mm. Um, and you hit on a great point. Elon is in a position where he can make bets mm. if he wants to, mm. and he's not going to, you know diminish his wealth to the point that he can't afford to feed himself. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to be able to afford to feed himself for a long, long time. Yes. Um, property prices. I was talking to um, a local property guy mm-hmm. uh, yesterday and uh, and he's saying that the market's still continuing to pump along. Yep. Um, now, that's in our, you know, in our local area, Luke, uh, yep. which is Newcastle, Lake, Lake Macquarie, Macquarie area. Yep. Um, but um, it, it appears to be a similar trend around you know, major regional centres and, and capitals around the country. Mm. Um, but you know, he was saying that um, pretty much depends on the actual property, but um, you know, compared to six months ago, prices are up 10 to 20%. That's insane. Um, and uh, still finding it hard to get enough stock to sell. So yep. so that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah, mm. that is that is some serious, serious price increases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But, so um, there's a lot of money, a lot of stimulus being, you know, mm. a lot of money going around, whether it's government money or incentives or concessions, and you know that is driven, you know, that money into places to find return. Yeah. Um, Low interest rates. Yep. You know, they play a big part. Huge, you know, you can get huge your, part. Get your money at less than two percent. Yeah. Um, that's a compelling reason to uh, look at going into, you know, a home or yeah. into an you know, investment. You know, because if your yield on an investment is Two mm. and you're paying two. Yep. Um, the numbers stack up pretty well, don't and, they? And and I digress a little bit, mm. but there's a bit of rumblings um, in the background that you know maybe some inflation might actually spike, and as a mm. consequence, interest rates may increase. There is a bit of you know articles mm. around to suggest that, that might be happening, and you know uh, people have fixed it. You know, one point nine nine, and yeah, if there is inflation and it takes off potentially over mm. the next five years, you know, you're going to be happy. But I'm not suggesting that you should. <laughs> fix or anything no, like no, that we're, it's we're, just we're a, we're a general um yes advice that the disclaimer is what that general advice only general advice only yeah. um don't go and act on anything that yeah. we talk about because we're not actually giving personal advice to you but it's just interesting to say that there's some rumblings there mm. around you know maybe there's a shift in the tides coming mm. um you know and i think long term it, it's kind of inevitable but mm. um but anyway yeah, yeah. so yeah properties up stocks are fairly flat um one interesting thing that did happen, and it's not really involved with money, but um, mm. yeah, the Facebook thing, you know, the Facebook mm. news thing issue. <laughs> um, so that I decided was, to tune out with a lot of it, Steve. To be you, honest, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Facebook decided that they would, rather than meeting the government's requirement that they pay for news from the major news houses. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook actually pulled a play and actually just took all the news out of Facebook, yep. which was really interesting. And, um, ge- and geo geolocated news, so they just did it to Australia. Yeah, 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 which is, <laughs> which which is really, really interesting. Um, so there's two there's two schools of thought there, and if you if you were looking at Facebook and social media, which mm-hmm. you know, obviously weren't over the last week or two. Um, there's one school of thought that says, well, naughty Facebook, um, you know, how dare they do this yeah. and, 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 you know, do, you know, 
pull that power play. Yeah. Um, there's another school of thought that says, well, hey, Facebook's actually doing the news organisations a favour by allowing them to distribute their mm. news um, far and wide. Yeah. Um, through the network. Through yeah, through the through the Facebook mm. uh, network. Um, so Facebook has obviously taken a view that you know, well, if there's no news there in Australia, it doesn't matter. Um, yep. You know, and they don't have to pay for it. But obviously, they're, they're playing a game. We don't know what happens in the background. No. It's just very interesting how it polarised people you know so you know looking at all the comments that came through yeah i sort of guess that about half the people um using the platform thought it was um poor form on facebook's part Mm -hmm. and then the other half thought it was um a poor form on the government and the news um uh, outlets part for expecting that um they'd get free access and be able to distribute distribute their news and still get paid and then get paid for it as well um so yeah but it's a big blow, but it's just an interesting um, sign that the world's changing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not the traditional um, world that we had where the newspaper got delivered and, uh, and you'd buy it yeah. and, uh, and read it. Uh, so it's all changed. Actually, I am going to weigh in. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing because mm-hmm. how many times do you see something on, on Facebook and it's just purely clickbait and it's media outlets seeking traffic to, yeah. to a website or to a link well, it's been a, a very refreshing week or two because you know I, I use Facebook a fair bit, yep. you know, for the business and yep. uh, and, and socially. Um, it was actually good to see Facebook get back to just being a social platform yeah. um, rather than having all this stuff rammed down your throat yep. around you know news opinions and things. Um, yep. So yeah, but anyway, I thought um, I'd bring it up. I thought it was interesting and uh, just probably a sign of the times that you know technology. There are, there are always going to be challenges when uh, new technologies come into play and yeah. and how it's regulated yeah, and how it, you know yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the loop there. Yeah. yeah. Very good. All right. So that's the last couple of weeks yeah. in play. Anything else you wanted to add? No. I, I, I was just really surprised around the um, 10 to 20% increase, you know, mm. in pricing over the last six months mm. for, you know, residential property in the local area. That mm. is, I'm just actually blown away. Mm. Yeah. It is what it is. It is, mm. a, good, it mm. is a good area, though. Mm. Yes. Yeah. It is a good area. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What else are we going to talk about today? We're going to, we're uh, going yeah, to talk about. To. I'll tell you what we're going to talk about. Cool. We're going to talk about. Uh, <laughs> you take over. <laughs> we're going to talk about income protection insurance. Um, we're going to talk about um, how and when you can get your super, mm-hmm. your superannuation. Yep. Um, and we're going to talk about the increasing cost of um, financial advice. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that'll do us. I think that'll get us through the next sort of thirty minutes. Yeah. Right. Cool. Uh, so before we take our break. Um, I think we'll talk about income protection insurance. And um, the reason I wanted to talk about it is that I listened to another financial podcast. Um, Can you call them a financial podcast? Uh, well, they, they think they are or they hold themselves out to be, yep. but a lot, of the, a lot of what they talk about is, um, is absolutely rubbish. Yep. Um, anyway, this other podcast, which I won't name, um, <laughs> continually spouts that people shouldn't take up and don't need income insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was listening to it you know, during the week um, for the first time in months, and I thought, I'll, I'll listen to it and just see whether that's improved. Yep. And, uh, you know, basically it came out and said, we well, don't need income protection insurance because it doesn't pay if you, if you get made redundant or you lose your job. Fine, okay. That got okay. my blood boiling. Because yep. um, basically a lot of people listen to this pod- that podcast, and um, I'm sure that a lot of people listen and take the advice that they're giving. Yep. Right. Right. Righto. Do you think that I think people need income insurance? I think you do. Mm-hmm. I think people need income insurance, Steve. Yeah, yeah, so not everyone needs income insurance. Yep. So if you're not reliant on your income 
um, to build your wealth or to pay your bills or yeah. to look after your family, then you don't need income yeah. insurance. You are effectively self-insured. Yeah. And I, I met a couple during the week who've got, you know, apart from the house, they've got 7 or $8 million in, you know, assets yep. um, that if something happened, they could liquidate some of it and they yep. could live off it and they'd yep. be fine. And so they, they can support they, their yeah, income yeah, needs. So they, they no longer need income insurance. Yeah. Um, but the person who is, you know, getting ahead, buying a house, paying mm. off a house, um, got bills to pay, yep. um, kids to send to school and sport. That's 20 and years left of working yeah. career. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Then the income is vitally important um, to, to be able to pay for and drive those things. Mm. So it follows that if you can insure it to an extent, my belief is that you should consider insuring it. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um, and, you know, it's just really interesting because, um, you know, you are everything your whole life, every your lifestyle, your mm. house is fully mm. dependent on your income. So yeah. you can say, yes, it costs too much or it's very expensive, mm. but without your income, yep. you then have every- nothing. Then everything becomes very expensive. <laughs> everything yeah. becomes a lot more expensive, yeah, or you just don't have anything. Don't have anything um, so, so what, what does income protection insurance cover? Though, so the, these people on the other podcasts, which I won't name, yeah, yeah, um, said are annoyed that, because it's not covering. Yeah, they say, um, well, well, it doesn't cover if you lose your job. Yeah, okay, so they're correct in that it doesn't cover you if you lose your job. Yep. But what does it cover for you? Cover you for? Do you know? Well, it's illness and disability. Yeah, yeah. So if you can't work because you're disabled or disabled, yeah. yeah. Um, then subject to the terms of the policy, it will pay you a percentage of your income. Yep. And, and continue to pay you a percentage of that income yeah, until you are in a position where you're well enough to work again, to you know, work, again, yeah. subject to yeah. the terms of the policy. Yeah. So generally speaking, you can insure uh, you know, up to 75 to 85% mm-hmm. of your income mm-hmm. and you can choose how long it would pay you for yep. if you were on claim. So that can be typically anywhere from two years through to age 65 or 70. 70 in some instances. Um, And you can also choose how long you have to be off work before the policy would start to pay you. And that can be anywhere from two weeks through to two years. Um, So, you know, you would choose a longer waiting period, we call it, um, if you had lots of leave Mm. or you had, you know, lots of money in the bank bank to to be able to get you through an extended period where you couldn't work. And it's just like your excess on your car insurance. Yeah, that's, that's you know, the higher one. the excess, yeah, the lower the lower the annual premium is. The lower the excess, the higher the premium is. Mm. It's just striking that balance. It is. It's striking that balance. And um, so there are plenty of ways that you can tailor it to ensure that it meets your needs and to self-insure so that it costs a little bit less than it might if you've got it. You know, with all the things dialed. Yeah. In. Yeah. Does that make sense? Um, um, yeah. And I'm gonna. So, but the big, the big glaring question in there, Steve, is you know, hey, it doesn't cover redundancy, mm-hmm. and I've done a little bit of research on what, um, you know, the potential of being involuntarily unemployed means, and how mm-hmm. long you might be un, you know, unemployed mm-hmm. for that period. And so, there's some averages that have, and this is based on some older, older reports, but the averages basically show that, you know, in, in Australia, involuntary unemployment or people remain involuntarily unemployed for an average of three months. Yeah, okay. Um, so, how long do you remain without income if you are ill, yeah, have severely, a broken back, yeah. you know, severely mm. disabled, whatever it might be? Mm. It's potentially permanently. Yeah. So, you know, 
it's likely based on the averages that you are going to get back into work. Mm-hmm. So, yep. so it's it's almost a moot point, isn't it? If um, if you ever do get made redundant. Mm. Then it's likely that and most people back. in their career are going to get made redundant yeah. at some point in time. Which is exactly why the insurers won't insure it, because it's likely to happen. <laughs> yeah, you know, so. there's a hundred percent, almost a hundred percent likelihood and, in claiming. Yeah, and and if they were to cover that, mm. then the policy would be very, very expensive yeah. because it's very likely to happen. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think it's very important that people realise that there are ways that you can tailor income insurance. You've got to do it like, like anything that we talk about mm. with investing or insurances or whatever. You've got to, got to do your research. You've got yep. to, you, you have to get, you know, either do your research yourself or get advice mm. on, on what the options are. But it often surprises me that people will avoid and not insure their income mm-hmm. um, when without any doubt they will insure their house, they'll insure their car, yep. they'll insure their pet, yep. they'll insure just about everything else, mm. but they won't insure the thing that enables them to keep all those assets, yep. uh, which is their income. Yeah. Um, and it's because it's intangible, isn't it? You know, and people don't want to think about their, you know, their mortality yep. And, yep. And, and, and bad things happening to them. Yep. And, 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 you know, another thing to throw in there, um, so sometimes it is a bit of a mission to get an insurance policy in mm. place. And, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, so more and more so these days, like 20 years ago, it was easy to get an insurance yep. policy, a proper, a good insurance yeah, policy. Yeah, yeah, a good insurance um, policy. And what you want to happen with an insurance policy um, is you want to apply for it and you want to give the insurer all the medical information and all the information that they need up front mm-hmm. so they can make a decision as to whether they'll insure you and on what terms. Yep. What does that do? If you do that and go through that process where you do the hard bit first, yep. and it's, listen, it can be hard work. Yeah. We, we know that it can take us sometimes months yeah. to um, have, yeah. a, have our clients It can be short, a protracted you know, process. Yeah. Yep. Um, but what does that do? It, it, it generally then means that if there's a genuine claim to be paid, the insurer is just going to pay it yeah. because they've done all the, yep. all the homework up front. There's yeah. a genuine claim. Mm-hmm. There is genuine certainty that that claim will be paid. Yeah. Um, as opposed to taking out a potentially more expensive um, product, yep, the ones that you see on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to mention a product, but don't, I, don't I won't. Mention, don't no. mention a product, no, because uh, there are lots of them. But um, take that out. They say, you know, there's no, you know, there's no uh, questions asked. Yeah, no medicals, no, no medicals, questions. Yeah, yeah, but what they do is they um, they look for the fine print um, at the point of a claim, potential yep. claim. And potentially find something that you didn't disclose, yep. should have disclosed, and, and then can potentially deny yep. the claim. So, you know, there's a school, school of thought both ways, but my thoughts are why not just um, lock yourself in and, and be very, very sure that a claim's going to be paid yep. at the front end, yep. you know. That's going to give you certainty. Um, yes, there's a bit of work up front, but it's going to, you know, be better off long term potentially if a claim does eventuate. So, you know, it's like anything: do the do the hard work up front, um, you know, and you're going to most likely get a better result. You know, if you take the easy path um, or the, you know. The lesser hard work yeah, <laughs> to, yeah. to, to an extent, um, you know, you open yourself up for potential issues if a claim yeah. um, is made in the future. Yeah. So, you know, we could talk for yeah. hours about income protection, what it covers, and I'm not sorry, not what it covers, but um, how it works and, and the options. But I guess the point here is that 
anyone who's relying on their income to um, be able to pay their bills and fund their uh, lifestyle and, fund their lifestyle, um, and pay debt, etc., should consider it. I'm not saying that they should take it out, but they should consider it and uh, look at that as part of their insurance. When, yeah. yeah. Very good. All right, well, we're halfway through. Cool. So let's take a break for a few minutes yep. and we'll come back and talk about uh, superannuation yeah. and, and the question I'm often asked, which is... When can you get it? When can I get it? Yeah. All right. See you in a minute. At Steve May Financial Services, we know how daunting the idea of seeing a financial planner can be. Bearing your financial soul to a person you don't even know doesn't sound like fun, does it? That's why we believe in being approachable and being ourselves. Our mission is to provide uncomplicated, affordable and personalised financial advice to those who normally wouldn't get it. Contact us for a friendly, no-pressure consultation to get your financial stuff sorted. Steve May Financial Services, www.stevemayfs.com.au Back, Luke. Yep. Back on. Um, back online. Back online. Uh, what we're we going to talk about? Superannuation. Yeah, we're going to uh, cover that. So you've mm-hmm. put a, put some notes on here, Steve. Um, when can you get your super? Mm-hmm. And just saying, it's a question often raised by you know people That's you're fair. talking to, and it, and it's something I hear as well. Yeah. Well, just about in just about every meeting that where I'm talking about you know, retirement in the future mm-hmm. or now or whatever, it's um hey. When can I get my super? What's this super thing? You know, yeah. how does it work? When, yeah. can I, when can I get it? I might not be able to get it ever um, because the government might change the rules or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's the sort of stuff that comes up. But I thought, I thought, well, let's explain to our listeners um, superannuation and how you, and when you can actually access it. Mm-hmm. So there's a common thought um, that you can only get your super when you retire okay. at age pension age. Yep. Okay. Which is at the moment 67 yep. for most people. 67 is the age pension age. Is that right or is that incorrect? That's incorrect, Steve. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's um, for us, we're just de- dealing with it every day. We mm-hmm. don't really yeah. consider that people probably align age pension age mm-hmm. with the ability to access superannuation. Yeah, yeah. So there are, there are, these are called conditions of release. So mm-hmm. when, you, when you can access your super, it's when you've met a condition of release. Yep. Right? And there, there are actually quite a few. Um, but the main ones that we talk about when we're talking about people who, you know, who are going along their normal life and reaching, getting close to retirement mm-hmm. age is, um, are age-related yep. um, and, and employment-related. But first of all, no matter what your circumstances, uh, if you're still working, you're not, whatever... At 65, mm-hmm. you can access your superannuation. It's fully unrestricted. Fully unrestricted. Yep. Um, you can access it, you can take it as a lump sum, you can you know, set it up as a superannuation pension, whatever you want to do. Yep. At 65, doesn't matter, you can access your super. Absolutely. Yep. So you don't have to wait till 67, Seven. which is age yep. pension age. You can, you can hook in and go at 65. Yep. Yep. Number and there are a lot of reasons why, even mm-hmm. if you were still working at that point in time, why you would consider accessing it. I mean, mm-hmm. won't go into yeah. detail of the nitty gritty of that, but yeah. So you've you sixty five, absolutely uh, can obtain unrestricted access. Yep. Now you can also obtain un, uh, access mm-hmm. to some extent, or you can obtain full access if you're sixty yep. and above. So let's say sixty for for people who are born before. 
1964. Yeah. Um, that's actually a lower age than that. Yeah. Um, but progressively, yeah, everyone yeah, else, yeah. you know, it so is going to be set in stone at 60. Be, be yeah. 60. Um, if you have retired and you're over the age of 60, yep. then you have full access to your superannuation. Yep. Correct? Absolutely correct. Yep. Um, so the key there is at 65, you don't have to be retired mm-hmm. and you can access. Yep. So you can still be working. Mm-hmm. Um, but at 60, you've actually got to stop working. Yeah. At 60, if you stop working and retire and no longer intend to work more than 10 hours a week. Yes. Then you can access your super too. Yep. And you can do then with it whatever you like again. So you could take it all as a lump sum. Mm-hmm. You could uh, convert it to a superannuation pension. You could do a bit of both. You could yep. you know, do lots of different uh, things. And, and another note on there, Steve. So say this, you've, you've reached 60, you have retired. Um, you've accessed super for whatever reason to you know mm-hmm. fund fund your, your lack of income coming in anymore because you're not working. Yep. But you can choose at that point to actually return and, and continue working in a different job after you've met retirement. Um, yeah, provide, retirement provided condition. at the point that you retired that mm. you had no intention of returning. Yeah, 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 co- yeah. correct. So, so, so to meet the definition of retirement, you have, you have to retire, yeah. you have to finish work, and no longer have an intention at that yeah, point. But some mm. people I've, you know, some people I've had discussions with, are, you know, they get a little bit concerned because they worry that there's, you know, if they need to go back to yeah. work for whatever reason, you know, mm. cash flow constraints yeah. um, or a really attractive offer has come up in front mm. of them, yeah. they can actually return to work yeah. um, and not impede this superannuation, you know, yeah. these unrestricted provisions on this superannuation yeah. access. So, so, so we, we know that circumstances can change, but, uh, you know, at the point that you retire over the age of 60, mm. at that point, you're not supposed to have any intention to be going back. No, no, you're not, but, yeah. But, yeah, if circumstances change in your intention and... and and whatever you do go back to work, then that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, um, but you have to be a little bit careful. It's a bit of a grey area. Yeah, it is. You, it know, is you, a... you probably shouldn't be you know, retiring and then going back to work for the same employer the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that that wouldn't be viewed terribly kindly. No, because and the reason why that is is because there's potential tax concessions mm-hmm. that are overlaid onto that superannuation once you do retire. Yeah. And, and what the ATO are not wanting you to do is is to take advantage of that system yeah um and and rightly so because it is such a concessionally taxed environment for so long so yeah, yeah there, there is another um condition of release mm-hmm. um that occurs over the age of 60 yep um and that is if you cease gainful employment mm-hmm. with that employer yep um you can access your superannuation Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're, you know, working along. You get to sixty, and um, your employer says uh, you no longer have a job, mm-hmm. um, but you don't intend to retire. Mm-hmm. You intend to find another job. Mm-hmm. That um, that thing. What, what's the word I'm looking for? That. That instance um, causes your superannuation to become to be, unrestricted, to be unrestricted yep. and accessible. Yep. Um, you know, and it could it could even be a case where you know someone is working past sixty, they've got two jobs, okay, and one of their employers says you no longer can work with us. Mm, that's nice, um, isn't it? Yeah. The super superannuation becomes accessible yep. at that point. Yeah. Um, so so that's an interesting. Yeah. So you've one. ceased mm. gainful employment um, with, with one, yep. and and as a consequence, your mm. your uh, superannuation is now unrestricted and accessible, even though you were still working mm-hmm. with another employer, for example. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's where sometimes I've seen it used tactically. Yes. Um, we know where um, a person chooses to actually go to their employer and say, hey, then don't want you to employ me anymore. Yep. Um, and the superannuation becomes accessible and then they go back and work um, for that employer, maybe under a different um, contract or yep. whatever. Um, so, yeah, so they're sort of your age and work-related. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, there's actually another way you can access your superannuation over the age of 60, and that's yep. through a transition to retirement pension. Mm-hmm. That's where you can convert your superannuation to a pension mm-hmm. and take up to 10% of its value out yep. each year. Yep. And so that means you can continue to work. Mm-hmm. You haven't met a cashing restriction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you yeah. haven't you haven't met a cashing eligibility. So you mm-hmm. know, you haven't retired. You haven't yeah. stopped working. You haven't ch- um, changed from one employer to the to another. So you're still working with the same employer, but you've got the ability to commence a transition to retirement pension yeah. um, and access so, up to ten yeah. percent. So th- those transition to retirement pensions evolved around you know, the government um, seeing that people might choose to cut back their working hours. So go from five days a week to four days a week yep. for a period yep. and they can replace the, the income they lose from, from working less yep. with um, some, yep. some money from their super. Yeah. And they're not totally reliant on the super fund, mm. so they're not drawing down, you know, mm. 100% of what mm. they, you know, were yep. used to earning in wages, they're drawing a portion down so they can yep. transition into yep. retirement, uh, yep. you know, yep. hence the name of the of the uh, you yep. know, available product strategy. Yeah, so that that's often used. Um Interestingly, that used to carry quite a decent um, tax mm-hmm. um, concession in that those transition to retirement pensions once weren't taxed at all. Yes. Um, or the earnings weren't taxed at all. Well, they now are. Yeah. Um, which is fair enough, I guess. Yep. Um, taxed at the same rate as the superannuation yep. fund. Um, but interestingly, the amount that you take out um, isn't. Yeah, taxed. so that, that's a that's a thing that people probably aren't aware of. Um, mm-hmm. When when you do get superannuation income over the age of sixty, uh, whether you're retired or not, or if it's transition to retirement or a full pension, um, that income is not taxable to you personally. Mm-hmm. So yep. it doesn't get added into your personal tax return. There's no tax payable when it comes to you. Yep. Um, if you've got a pension account and it's set up to give you a thousand dollars a week, that's what comes into your pocket. A thousand dollars a week, yep. no tax on it at yep. all. So, you know, it's, it's actually they're more flexible than people think. Yeah. You know, so the common thought is, oh, I'm going to have to wait until I'm 67. Yeah. And then by the time I get there, I might have to wait. It might be 70 because uh, yeah. the rules will change. And who knows, the rules might change because the, preserva- sorry, the, yeah, the preservation age used to be 55 yeah. Yeah, once upon do, a time. Do, uh, do you think it's fair, like with a lot of the people we work with, that, you know, there's a fair comment to say that a lot of people actually don't realise that they are in a position to retire? Um, once you've had, you know, mm. a, a conversation with them, once you show them, you know, and I'm talking about your typical 60-year-old or, you know, yeah, si- yeah. 60, 60, 65-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the people, um, some people, it surprises me that they don't know they can retire. Yeah. And so there are some people that I've met over the years who have substantial wealth mm-hmm. who don't think they can retire yeah. yet. Um, and, you know, you look at it and you talk with them and say, hey, get real. Well, yeah. Of course you can. <laughs> you're, you're okay. Yeah, you're yeah. going to be okay, and, and, and that's good. But then, you know, there are obviously also people, you know, in, you know with lesser wealth who still can because their, their lifestyle needs are, you know, quite conservative. Yep. Um, and with a combination of their superannuation and other assets and the age pension kicking yep. in at some point in the future, yep. they're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, 
But I just don't know it until they come and see someone. Yeah, and, yeah. and it is, you know, more often than not, and it's exciting to be able to tell people that they can retire as opposed to telling people they can't retire. I mean, you mm. don't want to necessarily... You want to have more of the, you know, former conversations mm. with people. Yeah. Um, but it's just interesting when you actually drill down with the assets and where people are positioned, you can actually show them, hey, you actually got enough here to, to get through to where mm. you need to go to. Yeah. Um, you know, so so I was just asking the question. You know, it's fair to say you know we probably see that fairly mm. often. We do. I guess yeah, this is just getting off topic for a second. Yeah. But the other thing that that I see is that when people are talking about you know using their assets to retire, they have this they have this sort of view that they need to have their money be able to generate in interest or income mm. what they need for retirement. Yeah. Okay. Rather than understanding that generally it, it involves. Um, you know, receiving income on, mm-hmm. your, on your assets, but mm-hmm. also spending your assets over yeah, time. You, so, you've got so to spend some of the capital. Yeah, yeah. so the, <laughs> yeah, by the time you die when you're 100, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That, you know, you've got, haven't got much left. Yeah, yeah. But you've been able to sustain your lifestyle and do all and the things your you want to do. And your income needs. And can I, can I point out, like, yeah, the ideal scenario is, is that, you know, actually I don't really know, but possibly the ideal scenario is some people want to be able to bequest, you know, their entire you know, all, all their assets and all their capital and, you know, meaning that they do have enough money to just live off the interest or dividend mm. income or mm. rental income from their various assets. But in most instances, that's not practical. Mm. Yes, that's the ideal, you know, mm. in inverted commas, situation, but, um, you know, it's not usually how it happens. So yeah. you've got mm. to be able to show, um, you know, mm. people that it's okay to spend down mm. in a lot of instances. It's actually okay. Um, yeah. It's how we manage that and how we draw down that on, on that over time is mm. really, you know, the, you know, the strategy. So, you look, if you, if you need to not draw down your capital, so mm-hmm. you just want to live off the interest, mm-hmm. for want of a better word, yep. um, and you want 100 grand, yep. um, then to get that 100 grand at 5% earnings, yep. you need 2 million bucks, yep. don't you? Um, but you don't need two million bucks. You need more than that mm. under those circumstances because your cost of living is going to increase yep. every year. Um, so you need more than two million dollars yeah. because next year you're not going to need a hundred grand. You're going to need one hundred two, yeah, and then and then it's one hundred and four, yeah. and then it's yeah. one hundred and six, and and so, so that five so, percent can't stay fixed. And so at some point you are drawing down on that capital. And yeah. exactly your point is, you need more than what you're even probably calculating in your head. So it follows that most people, you know, in Australia. The vast majority of people will draw down their capital over their lifetime, yep. and that's a common misunderstood um, thing: is mm-hmm. that people think that they have to have enough to be able to live off the interest. But the reality is that they have to have enough to be able to live off the interest and draw it down over yep. the course of their lifetime. Yep. and that's a much lower number than the, the two. It's exactly million. right. Yeah. Okay, got off to- topic there. Right. But what are the other conditions of release? We'll just skip through those. Okay. So, you know, there are some certain normal ones. I'll mm-hmm. call them normal. So, you know, retirement. Retirement. Um, but then there are some others. Um, retirement called, over the age of 60, you know, yeah, that was the normal one. Yeah. Um, we talked about the termination of gain from employment over the age of 60. Yes. And then what else? You know, permanent incapacity. Yep. You know, so you're not, you're not able to um, work, again, work again due to uh, disability, yep. in effect. Um, that causes, provided you meet the conditions and mm-hmm. you get the, um, the reasonably qualified um, uh, medical certificates and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, then as long as you're unable to engage in gainful employment again um, for anything that you're reasonably qualified for by education, training or experience, yep. 
then your superannuation becomes un- unrestricted or accessible. And, and, and that is between the age of 18 yep. or the age of 60. So Correct. at any point in there, if you are permanently disabled and meet the conditions of the superannuation trustee's um, requirements, and, it, and it's a legal requirement as well, yep. um, you can access those monies in an unrestricted manner. Yep. You can also access uh, superannuation under severe financial hardship. Yep, which we... Mm-hmm saw examples of that, not exactly severe financial hardship, but the COVID release measures um, yeah, so that, last that, year. Yeah, so that was a different one, wasn't that, it? That yeah. was a different yeah. one, but yeah. same sort of concept yeah. and principle yeah. behind it. Yeah. So what does severe financial hardship mean as a condition of release? So it means that um, a member can't meet their reasonable and immediate family living expenses mm-hmm. um, and has been receiving government income support payments for 26 weeks. Yep. Continuous. Um, and so, was received, so a year. Yeah, uh, 26 weeks. Oh, sorry, 26 yeah. weeks. Oh, I was yeah. confused. What, what, what world are you living in? You're living in a new baby world. No, no, <laughs> because government payments are paid fortnightly. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. Um, no, no, yeah. valid point. There and you the go, six months. The person also has to actually be on those benefits when they apply to the trustees at the okay. super fund. Yeah, so, right. um, and the payment can't be any more than 10 grand and no less than $1,000. So that's a fairly severe test to meet the severe financial hardship mm. condition of release, isn't yep. it? You know, but it's there. Um, you know, so if someone is struggling and they've been on income support benefits and they just can't pay the bills yep. or, or feed the family, mm. then there's a potential that they can access yep. up to 10000 of their super. Yep. Um, so that's one. Um, there's another condition of release on compassionate grounds. Yep. Um, so they can be released subject to um, the member not having the financial capacity to meet an expense and the release is allowable under the governing rules of the fund. It's fairly grey, that one. Yeah. Um, and that's not limited to $10,000. It's yeah, actually okay. based on what is reasonably needed. Um, to fund on, the compassionate yeah. Um, expense, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. so... That's an interesting one. I've, I must admit I haven't had too much experience with helping people claim mm-hmm. uh, on that, but I have heard that um, you know, medical procedures mm-hmm. um, can be covered. Yep. So if someone is struggling um, physically and mentally with um, weight yep. um, and need to have surgery um, to you know, for alleviate that surgery that. Yep. or whatever, then that can be covered. Yep. I've also heard that me- uh, cosmetic surgery for... Um, fake parts of the body um, been covered. Can, can also be um, covered under compassionate grounds. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, where it's been um, said that there are you know uh, mental um, issues around that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so quite interesting. Yeah, um, I, I haven't I haven't seen them. I mm-hmm. I have heard that you know sometimes they are encouraged mm-hmm. um, to fund under compassionate grounds, and mm-hmm. you know um, potentially you know you treating specialist has been able to corroborate and actually support that claim mm-hmm. so you know that that's that's an interesting one and i think mm-hmm. you know i think it's probably a little bit fraught with danger in some respects because it has you know some ability to be manipulated but you know that doesn't sort of um pull away from you know it's probably a credible yeah. um ability to access well the trustee of the super fund has to make, a make call the on call that. exactly yeah. right um terminal medical condition so uh, the yeah. member has been um diagnosed or 
uh, by two medical professionals mm-hmm. that they're likely that they are going to die within the next 24 months, yep. then the, um, the superannuation can be paid out as a tax-free lump sum, yep. regardless of age. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably those other points you just made with compassionate grounds and also mm-hmm. severe financial hardship mm-hmm. uh, release measures is they're all you know occurring within that sort of 18 to mm-hmm. 60 yep. age anyway, yeah, yep. so they can occur at any, any time. time yep. yep. And um, probably the only other one, um, apart you mentioned already, COVID nineteen. Mm. Um, that's not gone now, but um, yeah, gone. But yeah. you know, similar to similar principle for the compassionate sort of yeah. grounds. Um, you know, people are under financial, um, not compassionate yeah. grounds, the financial distress, yeah. distress grounds. Um, and then, then we have the first home um, super saver oh, scheme, yeah. which is where as a scheme where essentially people can contribute to super, get it into that concessionally taxed environment. Yeah and then get it out again when yep. you're ready to buy a house. Yep. Um, we, won't, we, we won't deal with it and, and go right no. into that. But it's, it's fairly, um, I mean, it is fairly complex. Mm, once it, it is, you know, it's, yeah. it's pretty involved. But, yeah, there, there is more than one way to access your super. Yeah. You don't have to wait until you're 67. Mm. Um, 65 at the very minimum. Uh, very maximum, sorry. Yeah, very, um, very maximum. And then, uh, yeah, there are, there are various other ways. Cashing can, abilities yeah, in yeah, between. Yeah. 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 So I thought we'd just try and clear that up a bit. Hope that helps. <laughs> yeah, um, hopefully we haven't bamboozled you with those. Yeah. We've got a few minutes left, so um, we'll just cover off on this last topic, Luke, yeah. for, for a couple of minutes. And, um, and in our world, um, it's becoming very obvious that um, the cost to provide financial advice, mm-hmm. not just by us, but you know, every other financial planner yep. um, and, and business in, in the country, um, is rising. Yep. Okay, it's so... The cost to actually go through the process mm-hmm. of providing advice to a client mm-hmm. um, is rising, and and why is that? Um, well, a number of reasons. Yep. Um, we had a royal commission, you know, what is it, a couple of years ago yeah. now, into um, you know, in the banks, but uh, that that brought out some um, findings around poor behaviours um, by financial planners. Aligned to the banks and and ANPs yeah, but generally, pr- yeah, pr- but predominantly but, aligned to the banks. But yeah. What that's resulted in is that the banks getting out of it now because it's too hard. Yeah, um, they've been caught. They've cut, cut, and, cut yeah. and flee. Um, they've cut and fled, so the cause of the problem, um, you know, is gone. Um, but the legislation that's flowed on from that um, yeah. royal commission has meant that anyone left in the industry, which is the non-banks, you yeah, know, um, which is you <laughs> and I, which is you and I. <laughs> Well, you know, now we have to do heaps of extra stuff yeah. um, to make to make it um, obvious, uh, sort of, that the client's getting good advice. Yeah. Right? Um, now, so what's involved in the process? So you know, we have we have to know our client. We always have had to, but that yep. means we've got to you know get a written fact find, and mm. um, we have to you know, do risk profiling. We have to know everything that's relevant, you know, to the client's circumstances yep. and to the potential advice we may actually give. Yeah. So that's a that's a you know fairly long process. Got mm. um, to do research and um, and compare products and alternative options and strategies. Yep. So you know the the average person coming in going in to see a financial planner might think that the financial planner just has to suggest a product to them and that's yep. all well and good. Yep. Um, but no, the financial planner um, and it's not a bad thing, but the financial planner has to know. What they're talking about and what other options, products are Exist. out of the market, and, and, and why you would or would not use them, and why you would and wouldn't, wouldn't use them, and why using the solution and products will put you, the client, in a better position. Yeah, um, 
which is the important bit. Mm. Um, but because everything's sort of driven around this legislation, um, the licensees uh, in the industry try to make sure that there's lots and lots of paperwork that goes around um, how those, that decision yep. is made. Um, so, you know, file notes and strategy notes and yep. best interest duty notes and what other, what, yeah. whatever. Yeah, other and all there. the other bits and pieces that go um, in there. Yeah. And then, you know, there's, there's a, you have to develop a strategy yeah. and then you have to you know, pre- present a statement of advice yeah. or financial plan yeah. to the client, which, you know, some of ours, I shouldn't talk about our business, but some some statements of advice out in the industry are 100 pages. Yep. Um, of which maybe ninety of them aren't relevant. One hundred percent, and you've got to, and you've got to remember. So you, as the client, might mm. see the advisor for a couple of hours face to face, see this document prepared, and have a have a you know a, a review of this document, this statement of advice. But in the background, we're compiling you know masses of information to document the process we've gone through yeah. um, and why the advice we're giving is putting you in a better position. And you know that is just what we've got to do as part of doing our job yeah, yeah. and you know, we're not it is what it is no it, it is it but, is what but, it is you know, yeah thought, you know, would uh, explain that there's a bit that goes on behind there's you know then there's the um the fee disclosure stuff that we have to do yep. which um doesn't seem like much but when you you know the industry is working across thousands and thousands of um, clients mm. um uh, yeah, there's an annual fee disclosure mm-hmm. and then there's an annual opt-in to continue yep. you know with fees and then there's Yeah, and and all these things and intentions are from the government to make sure that clients are informed and getting the best advice. However, Mm. the flow-on effect has actually resulted in some increased cost to businesses Mm. to deal with you. And, you know, obviously that's got to be transferred across. Yeah. There's an ASIC levy on financial planners. So financial planners are actually paying for ASIC to, um, you know, to basically be, (laughs) be the regulator of their industry. Good. Right. Um, so, does that actually mean that ASIC is incentivised to um, to go hard on financial planners so that they can continue to get paid? I don't know. Uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm not there's, sure. There's a cost yeah. of licensing. There's PI insurance, so professional indemnity insurance, yeah. which is increasing. And, yeah. and on that point, so the professional indemnity insurance, you know, th- you know, boiling it down, theoretically, we had a royal commission. Well, we not theoretically, we had a royal commission. Banks and you know, large, in, you know advice operators left the industry because they were very vertically vertically integrated and couldn't give unconflicted advice. So remember that they are also paying PI insurance or public mm. indemnity insurance. So they've left the industry. There are, you know, what mm. I would like to think is majority of the good guys are left yep. um, and girls out there. Mm. Um, you know, that insurance premium is now shared across a smaller pool and that has, in fact, actually increased that insurance premium. Um, and, you know, that's obviously flowed through to increased costs to engage an advisor. Yeah. But can I point out something very important? We are covered by an insurance premium. Yeah. So as licensed professionals, you're actually engaging with someone who has insurance cover in the background. If in the worst case scenario, something goes amiss, you receive poor advice, um, it's inappropriate for whatever reason, mm. you are covered by an insurance policy. Yep. If you go and get advice from not a financial planner mm. um, or you know some real estate group or whatever it might be or some stock guy that's mm. you know got the million sponsored you know videos on Facebook, yep. you're not going to be covered if you get inappropriate advice. So 
yes, we can say, you know, these costs have increased, but, it, you know, the, the PI piece is, you know, a very important one that, yes, you as a client engaging advisor might be paying a slightly higher premium to engage a professional, but you are covered. Yeah. Sorry, I went so, on a bit of a tangent there, Steve. Good. Uh, the, so increasing you know, cost to provide advice results generally in an increasing cost to the consumer. No, so, you know, I, to, I think, to be able to provide it, yeah. you know, you know, that's what it is. But lo and behold, mm-hmm. okay, after all of these things are, are in place mm-hmm. and implemented, now there's a, um, a study being done and, and they're looking to take some action on how to make the cost of advice more affordable. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So they've just, they've just rammed all of this into mm-hmm. the industry and... Um, and, and cause the time taken to blow out. Yeah. And now, you know, an unintended, un, unintended consequence yep. is, hey, it's actually going to cost the consumer more to get advice now. Yeah. The government wants consumers to get advice so they don't make poor financial decisions so the government doesn't have to support them forever. Um, but now, hey, it's, hey, it's, hey light it's, bulbs turn on. Yeah. It's becoming too expensive. Yeah, How do we actually fix that? Yeah, it's too hard for an advisor to engage someone mm. so they choose not to engage them mm. because... Yeah. You know, A, they can't afford it, and mm. B, you know, it is actually too costly. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, um, I thought we'd just cover off on that, um, you know, just to let people know that, um, yeah, there's a hell of a lot go- that goes on yeah. in the background of a financial planning business. Yeah. That's not all just, hey, let's have a, a friendly conversation, um, you know, buy a product and move on. Yeah. It's actually way more than it, that. Yeah, yeah, it's involved. And, and, and I know that, you know, you believe that financial planning, and I believe that financial planning is more than just picking a product. Um, and, and changing a super fund or something like that. No. It's, it's actually planning. Yeah. It's called financial planning, yeah. and the planning piece is the most important. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, won't bang on about that anymore. No, um, no. We're out of time. Um, that's our fortnightly episode done. Cool. We will catch up again in another fortnight. All right. Um, don't, don't forget to leave a rating or whatever you do on uh, on whatever platform yeah, you're on. We're on all of them. We're on all of them. Um so leave a rating, share us with your friends, and uh, we'll catch up again next fortnight. And, yeah, did you say ask a question? Yes. No, I didn't. No, but, you yeah, didn't. Yeah, but yeah. if anyone's got any questions, you know you know where to find us, moneyman.com.au. Yeah. Um, and, you know, put a question on there. More than happy to answer it. Awesome. See you. See you next fortnight.